0: I am on my sure I'll be doing the New Testament reading this morning. If you're here for the video, um, basically it'll be centered around those events. We'll be starting from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 27, um, verse 52, all the way to chapter 28, verse 15. Matthew, chapter, 7, chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you, thank you sermon for uh, reading for us. Uh, I still clearly uh, remember that day when we uh, joined us a church six years ago, which um, was somebody not on the door, and we uh, uh, found some great news in the Bible, uh, which is what we're going to look at this morning. Um, wonderful to see um, some new faces among us as well. So if you are joining us for the first time, uh, it's great that you can be here. Uh, my name is Hughie. Uh, I'm uh, one of the ministers uh, here in the parish, and uh, I look after the 9 actual congregation primarily, Um, so uh, welcome, welcome to you. Uh, Let me also welcome our children. Uh, Some of our children uh, are sitting in the service with us this morning. Uh, It's been a long time since we've been able to meet together with you guys, so uh, welcome to to you uh, as, as well. Um, now it would be wonderful if you can have your Bibles open uh, to Matthew chapter twenty-seven and thirty-eight. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just throw up your hand, and uh, Ray will bring uh, over a Bible for you. Um, uh, there's a, a few hands up here, and uh, if you uh, find uh, if you have a trouble opening up to that passage. just to the next to you they might know that, where that passage is. It would be great if you can follow along uh, with uh, what the Bible says. Um, it's also, uh, as we pass around those Bibles, it's also um, customary uh, for us every Easter Sunday uh, to do a bit of a call and response. And so I'm going to uh, say the words Christ is risen, and uh, you will say... Okay, wonderful. Uh, so one, two, three, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Uh, let's uh, pray, and then uh, we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray. Right. Everybody, we thank you so much uh, that this morning uh, we can declare not only that Christ has risen, but that he is still risen. And as the resurrected uh, Christ is sitting at your right, Ruling this universe with all glory and power uh, and majesty. And so we pray, Father, that as we uh, look at your word this morning uh, as we ponder the implications of the things that you say to us, uh, we ask that uh, the Spirit uh, of your Son, who sits at your right hand, uh, might be with us this morning, uh, teaching us uh, and helping us to see the truth of. Um, Well, friends, have you ever felt abandoned in your life? Have you ever felt abandoned in your life? Uh, My son reminds me sometimes. When we got home after church with uh, our two daughters, uh, we felt slightly uneasy about something. Uh, you know that feeling that you get when you know you've forgotten something, but you just don't know what it, what it is? Then the terrible reality dawned on us that we have left out son behind. Uh, needless to say, when I rushed back to church, my son was sitting by himself alone in the gutter being abandoned and forsaken and traumatized. It was a complete parenting fail. But more seriously, uh, many of you will know just how awful it is to be abandoned by others. Uh, Some of you have been abandoned by your spouses or have felt abandoned. Others of you might have been abandoned by your family. Still others of you might have been abandoned by your friends. It truly is an awful feeling, isn't it? Being abandoned and forsaken and feeling alone. But if it's bad enough to be abandoned by people, how much worse is it to be abandoned by God? You know, when we see the most awful things in life, we often wonder whether God has abandoned us. And, you know, when we see bombs falling on hospitals in the nation of Ukraine, killing women and children, or when we see the worst evils in this world, or when we go through unrelated difficulty in our lives, we can often wonder God saying, Where are you, God? For being abandoned by God, who is the source of everything good, is really the biblical picture of of what hell is like. Now, hell is not an abstract thing in the Bible, you know, with devils running around with pitchforks. It is that complete absence of God and His goodness in our lives. Have you ever felt abandoned like that before? Now, uh, if you were here on Good Friday, uh, you would have heard a sermon about the death of Jesus uh, on the cross. Uh, it must have been a time, do you think, when the disciples of Jesus felt completely abandoned by their master. I mean, he was the one that they had followed with their whole life. He was the one who claimed to be their Messiah, the one who could forgive sins. He was the one who spoke of the glorious kingdom of heaven that they could belong to. But here he is on Good Friday, hanging lifeless and under the curse of God on a Roman cross. Oh yes, the disciples must have felt abandoned, forsaken, and without yet the great news of Easter Sunday, which we are celebrating today, is that in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Jesus did not abandon his disciples. And if if you also are a disciple of Jesus, then there is a promise in the resurrection of Jesus that he will not abandon you as well. Now, friends, uh, you can see this in the resurrection account, which comes in chapter 28 of the Matthew's Gospel, which was just read out for us. uh, Notice in this account that early in the morning, on the very first Easter Sunday, uh, two women, both called Mary, uh, must have been a very popular name back then, uh, two women, both called Mary, go to the tomb of Jesus. It's highly unlikely that these women are going to the tomb expecting to see Jesus alive. Because uh, if you actually read the other gospel accounts, now some of the other gospel accounts in the Bible say that these women went to the tomb. Why? Well, to embalm Jesus. And so even though Jesus had predicted that on the third day after his death, he will rise again, it's not as though these women were full of hope. They must have been. However, when they get to the tomb, I want you to see that they experience a great act of God. Uh, You've probably heard that insurance companies often call events that can't be explained by, uh, by human causes as acts of God. And here you see an act of God. And so in verse 2, have a look with me at verse 2 of chapter 20, 28. Uh, verse two, you see a great earthquake. Again, in verse two, you see an angel appears and rolls back that huge stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb. And in verse three, you see a great light show. Do you notice that we are told that the angel's appearance was actually like lightning? Why? Well, I think Matthew wants us to see here great reversal isn't it? if you remember at the cross, what happened? It was great darkness. In the middle of the day, the sun hid its face. The darkness of sinful men putting God himself to death on a cross was reflected in the created order. And yet, in the resurrection, we see that out of this darkness, God brings the light life, life, and hope, and a future. Further, notice that in verse 4, the guard of soldiers uh, who had been placed at the tomb by Jesus' enemies become like dead men. I don't know what they would have looked like. Maybe they look pale, but they described as looking like dead men. Uh, there's a great irony, isn't it? Uh, a few days earlier, these men would have looked very alive as they opposed Jesus, and yet here they were in the face of the one who had been resurrected, and they are looking like dead men walking. While Jesus, a few days before, would have looked like a dead man. In fact, he was a dead man, and yet here he lives, too, and alive. Well, friends, Did you notice the wonderful message that the angel brings to the two women here? Uh, it's actually a, a threefold message. Uh, it's a threefold message of: do not fear, do not fear, come and see, and go into. And do not fear, come and see, and go into. And uh, firstly, do not you can see it in verse 5, that's it angel says, Do not be afraid. This is the wonderful consequence of the gospel, isn't it? Disciples of Jesus do not need to fear. Death, which is the placement for sin and rebellion against God, is not the end of the story for disciples of Jesus. For Jesus has paid the price for your sin by His death on the cross, and He has conquered the grave, so that you might have eternal life in Him. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that if you are a disciple of Jesus, your sins have been effectively paid uh, by Jesus on that cross. Now, it's been a while since I've been to the Easter show. Uh, hands up if uh, you've been to the Easter. Lucky ones. Uh, I hope it was a great time. Um, but you know, whenever you go to the Easter show, I don't know whether they still do this, but they used to give you a, a little um, a bracelet, a paper bracelet that they put around your wrist. Do they still do that? And uh, uh, what is this bracelet? Well, it's basically a guarantee that your fare has been paid for, isn't uh, it? And it's especially good if somebody else has paid that price for you. You just have to wear the bracelet and show anyone who has, uh, you know, it's been paid for. Uh, In a similar way, the resurrection of Jesus is that guarantee that your sins have been paid for at the price. It's a guarantee that the price has been paid and now is not the end for you, but that you will have life. We need to remember that especially as we live in this world that is under the shadow of death, where we see death and violence and disease you yourself. And so, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you do not need to fear. You do not need to fear death like the rest of the world. You don't need to cling to this life as if this life is all there is. So, my brothers and sisters, do not fear, for he is not here. He is missing, and he has conquered the grave. Secondly, so come and see. Uh, you can see there in verse 6 that the angel invites the two women to come into the tomb and see with their very eyes the place where Jesus had been laid. In other words, these two women are invited by God to be the very first witnesses of being the empty tomb. You see, the stone that was rolled away from the tomb—it was not actually so that Jesus could come out, as though he couldn't come out if, if that didn't happen. It was actually for the women to come in and to examine the tomb of Jesus, to examine the evidence for themselves. He he's no longer dead. Um, I love the fact that the very first witnesses were these two women. Well, you see, if the human authors of the Bible were making this stuff up, then they would not have chosen women to be the very first witnesses. Why? Well, it's because in the first century, women were not regarded as credible witnesses a court of law. And so if you were making this stuff up, to have women there as your first witnesses would have actually not been helpful to your cause. And you know, one of the very common objections by non-Christian people about the claims of Jesus in the Bible, and the resurrection in particular, is that the human authors of Jesus were all Christians. Have you heard that objection before? Uh, it's the assumption that if Christians wrote this, then they must have been biased, and therefore you can't actually trust their claims, even though the Bible claims that ultimately God is the author of the Bible. But I, I just want you to see that if you read the Bible, um, you'll see that there is a, a certain honesty to what the biblical writers portray. Here Matthew includes two women as the first women later in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then Christians are the people in this world who are most to be pitied. I mean, if the resurrection didn't happen, what are we doing, here friends, on this wonderful day? We might as well be on the beach. But you see, Just because someone writes with conviction, I certain conviction, it doesn't mean that they automatically can't be telling the truth. If you believe that anyone writing with conviction cannot be telling the truth, then you cannot actually believe anything that is written in this world. And so, just as the women were invited to come and see and examine for themselves, been evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and God also invites you and me to come and to examine the resurrection for ourselves. If you're here this morning and you've never looked into the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then what a wonderful opportunity to ask your Christian friend or to ask the pastor to help you to investigate this astonishing claim that Jesus rose from the dead, so that you can have a living hope in him. Some of you might have heard the name of McDowell. Has anyone heard that name before? Yep. Um, maybe some of us have read his books. Uh, he's the author of um, uh, a particularly uh, well-known book called uh, The Evidence That Demands Unverdience. Evidence That Demands Unverdience. But the wonderful story of Joseph McDowell and uh, It's not unique in this sense, but Jostein Aar was actually a law student who set out to investigate the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus in order to prove Christianity wrong. But what happened uh, after a time of honest searching of the scriptures is that he found the resurrection to be so mortified that he ended up giving his life be wonderful if you can go on a similar journey. If you don't know Jesus, you can Investigate the claims of Jesus. Investigate the claim of the Bible of his resurrection. And finally, the angel's message to the women, and the final message to the women is go and tell. Go and tell. In verse 7, the angel tells the women in a sense, to be the first evangelist. They have to go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he would go before them to Galilee in the north where they will see him. You see, the good news that they were to carry to the other disciples is that because Jesus has risen, he has not abandoned you. You will see him. Good news. It was news that had to be told. We well, the account of the empty tomb, which points to the resurrection of Jesus. Then you can see in our passage before morning uh, two different responses to Jesus' resurrection account. Now the first response that you see in our passage is that of You see, uh, back in chapter 27, verse 62, Uh, just come back with me a little bit to chapter 27, verse 62, where the religious leaders of Israel clearly do not believe that Jesus can rise from the dead. In fact, the only real concern they have is that the disciples of Jesus will now create a massive hoax around the resurrection. They know, these religious leaders know that Jesus had previously predicted that he will rise again from the dead. And so they are concerned that what his disciples will do is that they will steal Jesus' body from the tomb and then spread a rumor that he had actually come back from the dead. And it's hard to understand why the disciples of Jesus might create such a hoax, isn't it? If they knew that Jesus. Hadn't come back from the dead. I mean, most of these disciples uh, actually went to their deaths in horrible ways for speaking to other people, for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. It would make no sense to give your life speaking a message that you knew to be false. I mean, if I was a disciple of Jesus and I knew Jesus was still in the truth. I think I would have just gone back to my life of fishing if I was a disciple. But the religious leaders believe that the disciples will create these hopes. And so what do they do? Well, they go to Pontius Pilate. As you remember, he was the Roman governor who sentenced Jesus to death. And in verse 65, Pilate tells the religious leaders that. They can take a guard of soldiers and secure the seeking so that none of the disciples can come and steal the body, which is exactly what they go away and do. But here's a difference. Notice that these religious leaders have made up their minds that the resurrection of Jesus cannot happen even before the event. Did you notice that? In other words, it's not that they are willing to be open to the evidence. What they've done is that they have completely closed their minds to the possibility of a resurrection ever happening, even before it happens. You know, lots of people still do this, okay? And lots of people still make up their minds that God does not exist. And if God does not exist, then miracles can't happen. And if miracles can't happen, then the resurrection wouldn't have happened. And if the resurrection uh, didn't happen, then God does not exist. Uh, it's a very circular logic uh, that many people have. And why do so many people do this? Well, it's not that there is any lack of evidence. Rather, it's because people simply do not the resurrection for if the resurrection of Jesus really did happen then it shows that Jesus must be God for no one other than God can defeat death in the way that Jesus defeated death and if Jesus really is God then I really ought to worship him and listen to what he says about how my life is to be run and yet so many people don't want to do this because to make Jesus the God of my life means for I to give up the fantasy that I am the God of my life, that I get to the about what my life is to be like. This is the words of Thomas Nagel. Thomas Nagel was a staunch atheist he was a philosopher and author. But he was very, also very refreshingly honest uh, in his book titled *The Last Word*. Uh, he writes this basically what he says. He says, "I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God." And that's I hope my belief is right. I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not real. You see what he's saying? He's saying that there is an authority problem here. It's not an evidence problem. It's an authority problem. He doesn't want there to be a God because if there is, then he need, he knows that he needs to hand over the reign of his life to this God and to give him authority over his life. He knows that if there is a God, he cannot continue living his life his own way. And so there is no God. He this a disability. They suppress the truth about God because in the end, in the end they don't want there to be a God. It's a bit like what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans where he says that, that humanity suppresses the truth. You know that, that passage that I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to hold a floaty under water? You, know, you push it down. i coming back up. That's what this world is like. I don't want there to be a God, but the whole creation screams that there is a God. I don't want there to be a God. In our passage this morning, notice that even when the gods come to the religious leaders in uh, chapter twenty-eight, verse thirteen. Are telling them about everything that had taken place, you know, the earthquake, that angel, the empty tomb. The guards tell the religious leaders the truth, but well, the religious leaders are still not willing to believe the truth. And so, in verse 12, they simply pay these soldiers some hush money and tell them to spread the lie that while they were sleeping, the disciples came. This rumor circulates among the Jews. Now, this is a ridiculous thing that you think. For if the soldiers are sleeping, how do they know that it was the disciples of Jesus that stole the body? If the soldiers were really sleeping, then they ought to at least entertain the possibility that it was actually true that Jesus had come back from the dead. So, if the unbelief is the response of the religious leaders, the response of the two women in this passage uh, is completely different. When they are told by the angels to go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is risen, notice that they run from the tomb in verse 8 with fear. It's actually a wonderful statement of what the Christian life is like in For the Christian life is a life of fear or awesome wonder at the power of God who raises the dead, and a life of great joy because those who follow Jesus are given a guarantee that the sins are heaven. is given right to tell the disciples. Notice that an astonishing thing happens. For we are told that Jesus appears suddenly to the women themselves. It's astonishing because you would think that if Jesus were to appear, he would appear firstly to the big, the big guys, you know, the Peter, the Peters, the Johns, the Jameses, among his disciples. But no, he appears first to these two Verse 9, notice says, Reasons. Now, uh, that word is not simply a polite word. Uh, It's actually the Greek word for rejoice. For now that Jesus is risen from the dead, there is every reason for disciples of Jesus to rejoice, you see. Disciples of Jesus can rejoice because disciples can know that their sins have been dealt with by Jesus at the cross. Disciples of Jesus can rejoice because the resurrection of Jesus shows that just as God has raised Jesus bodily, not not just spiritually, but bodily from the you notice how the women respond to Jesus in this message? You can see here in verse 9, of Verse 9, when they are confronted by the resurrected Jesus, they are able to see who Jesus is in the earth. They take hold of Jesus' feet, which is what you would do to a king. They start worshiping Jesus, which is what you would do with God. In other words, their response to Jesus is my king and my God. That's the right response to Jesus'. You are my king and my You are my The right response to Jesus. Not simply to see Jesus as the King and the Lord in the abstract, but to see him as your King and your God that he come to. Do you see Jesus in this way? Will you come before the resurrected Jesus as your King? Then you are willing to serve with your life, knowing that He was the one who gave up His life for you, and that you're willing to come to Jesus as your God, willing to worship Him and live for Him. For those who respond to Him in this way are the ones have every cause to rejoice. But there may be some of us this morning. Need to respond to Jesus in this way, and I'm having trouble seeing Jesus really as the King and the God of your life. That may be you this morning, and if that is you this morning, then it's great that you have come here, uh, that you've come to join us. But I also want to say to you that seeing the resurrected Jesus clearly as both King and God. It's not simply a matter of weighing up the evidence and believing that a man has come back from the dead. You know, there are even people who, um, who can say, yes, Jesus did come back from the dead, but who are not willing to crown him as anything. For in the end, seeing Jesus clearly is not simply about evidence, but it is actually. That as for you, it would be good to ask God for His help to open up your eyes so that you can see Him as a truly uh, Last weekend, uh, it was a glorious sunny day uh, when I uh, was sitting in my lounge and uh, I heard uh, the screech of tires. I thought it was just another accident because uh, there are actually many accidents, uh, you know, Coronation Parade, uh, which is in front of my my place. But it turns out that this accident was uh, actually fatal. A man was simply out, you know, on a sunny day, uh, driving his car, uh, minding his own business uh, down that street, when a speeding car. When a witness went over to help the man in the car, she found the man's head had been split open on the steering wheel and the brains just causing a mess. And she had to be taken to the hospital for trauma. The next day, I drove along that very same lane. And it was an human feeling, not that 24 hours earlier. whether it happens in this instant or whether it happens years from now, what is certain is that one day you and I will lose our lives. And on that day, what the resurrection of Jesus shows us is that we will stand before Him, who is King and God of this world. How will you be Those who have lived in unbelief will be abandoned by God forever. Because in reality, those who live in unbelief are the ones who all their life have told God, I don't want you In the end, you will abandon me. And yet those who have seen Jesus and those who have known Jesus as he and God. Well, there is a wonderful promise, isn't it? That he will never abandon you. For in the resurrection, you can know the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life and the presence of a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you for all eternity. Do you see Jesus clearly? If you have every reason to rejoice as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we can celebrate Easter this weekend. And We thank you for the wonderful news of Jesus' and death and resurrection. We thank you that the resurrection is our guarantee that our sins have been paid for such that you counts help us not as your enemies, but as your friends. And we thank you that we can have a great and certain hope that just as Jesus was risen bodily from the grave, you will also raise us from the grave one day. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to see Jesus more and more. Help us to respond to Him as our King and our Lord. And please help us to submit to Him and to live with Him rather than our own selfish wishes. And to know the awesome wonder.